Well, we're beginning a six-week series we've simply titled Holy Spirit. Uh, It says you've asked for it because we, last spring, asked you what kinds of topics you wanted us to cover, and this was one of your highest marked topics. We want to understand the Holy Spirit, how the Spirit moves in our lives. So we're spending six weeks on this together. And today is much more of kind of an overview and an introduction, but I hope to give some formulating ideas that will help us move ahead, that will kind of guide us. And so to begin, we can't simply start with the Holy Spirit unless we look at the fact that God is literally three in one, that God is one God, but we believe he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each fully God, each not the other, yet one, even though there's three. Now you understand that doesn't make sense, right? It sounds nice, Trinity, it sounds great. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so I want us to explore just the inadequate ways we try to make sense of this. Like we do these, give illustrations to try to explain something we can't understand. And I do want to say it again. You understand it's, it doesn't make sense, right? God's one, he's three in one, one plus one plus one equals one. You do get a reason is hard in this, right? Okay, thanks. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Is this thing on? Hello? So what we do is we try to do things to make it reasonable, to make it make sense to us. So we even give illustrations this way. Like, here's one that we commonly use. God is like an egg, which, thank you. He's probably like, thanks. Eggs don't even smell good. What are you doing? Shell is, is, let's say the shell is the spirit. The yolk is Jesus, and the father is the egg white. Or you can put it any way you want it. And so we use an illustration like this. Can't you see that's one? But the, the problem with this is it's because no part is complete, Right? It's a bad illustration. It's actually what the church calls heresy. It means we try to explain something to make sense to us, but it violates the truth. That's what heresy is, in case you don't know. And there's more of them. We we go, oh, that's not enough. Oh, no, you don't don't get what three in one is? I can explain it to you. It's like water. Well, water's in the form of solid, liquid, and gas. And I don't know which one, which God gets to be, but we'll explain it that way. So one is solid, one is liquid, one is gas. It's all water. Again, that's not explaining what we believe in this. You get that. We do this over and over again. Some will take a, a, a person, a human, and say, guess what? This man right here is a father, he's a husband, he's a son. So in essence, God carries three roles at the same time, but it's just one God trying again to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Okay, good. I'll give you one more. We take a clover and we say, hey, it's a three-leaf clover. It's really one clover, but three different parts, just like God has three different aspects. All of them make one God. Again, we're saying God is part, but not whole, and each one is part, but not whole, which violates the truth of what we know from how God has revealed himself. And so we're in this difficulty, and in case you don't know, the early church early on struggled dramatically with this, and what happened was these early church fathers and leaders wanted to make sense of something that Let's agree, does not make sense. Can we just agree? This is not reasonable to us. Come on, we're reasonable people. And what will someone tell you? Oh, wait, are you you just kind of set your intellect on the side? Don't you realize how smart you are? That doesn't make sense. It can't be true. And that's what we do. So we try to make it make sense. And we do these funny things. Like they called, there was one called modalism that basically said, well, the Old Testament God is the Father. Jesus is the gospel God, and then the Holy Spirit is in the New Testament. Like, God switches modes at different times in history. That's not true. And things go on and on and on. We have different ways of trying to consider it. Arianism, which was an early way to combat, and Jesus 
In the first century or second century, those first ones, they were arguing much more about was Jesus fully God. They didn't even get to the spirit till the third century. And in the first and second, it was like, well, Jesus is born from the Father. He didn't pre-exist. Well, guess what? That's not what he said. It's not what scripture says. So now you're in a whole other mess, and that's not true. And then we can take another one that's called the, the tri-God as if to basically say, well, there's really three. Let's just not even try to fix it. And so what I want you to understand is we struggle to explain something that's unexplainable. It's not explainable. You can't explain it. You do get that. And I want you to consider our way of thinking in our modern Western world. We are linear, fixed thinkers. Everything needs to make sense, and it needs to add up in a way you and I can understand it, or it is not true. That's how we live. And, and so there's one of the places we would deal is what we call skepticism. We kind of have a skepticism about those things we say and say, boy, you have to set your intellect aside in order to believe this. Again, as if to say, my intellect understands everything. Which, just something to consider, if we're created, is it possible the creator understands things we don't and we can't make sense of? Is that possible? I know that you're brilliant. Is it possible you're not that smart? You're welcome. I thought you'd appreciate that. In fact, I find it interesting uh, because we, in our education system, we proclaim our leaders, in, especially in a college arena, we call them professors, right? Professors are, by nature, people who profess something and yet much of our training is taught to critique and question. That's how we live. We live in critiquing, not in professing. So I just want to remind you, there's one avenue that will be, this doesn't make sense, it's not reasonable, it couldn't be true. Now we have a new one that's forming today, which is, guess what? I read what I read, and you read what you read, and what you read is wrong, what I read is right, and you read the wrong things, the wrong place, and you couldn't have any idea what this actually means. You're just wrong. And the more angry and the more I say it, the more true it is. So I just wanted you to know that too, and I got more likes, and I understand this more, so I don't know why you think it's true, it's just not. So now we've moved from reason to just sheer perspective, right? So the reason I want us to start here is if we even talk about the Holy Spirit and we consider this idea of the God being one and yet three in one, we have to understand, guess what? You and I cannot make sense of this. That's not our job. It's not to make sense. I want us to look in a different way. And I love this. Jesus gives us such a beautiful picture of how we can consider this. He's with his disciples, and they're all trying to kind of figure things out and being very adult in what they're doing, and he pulls a little kid up to him. And he pulls up a kid who they're trying to say, get away, by the way, because kids are of no value, and he says, guess what? You see this little one? Unless you become like a child, you won't even see the kingdom. In other words, if you can't let go of the way you think, you can't see who I am. In a sense, it's just simply this. We want to look to God and discover him with childlike wonder. That you and I have to be able to go, can I let go of my need to be fully understanding? And can I let go of my perspective and go, is this true or not? I just want to understand. I want to discover it. And I'll give you a picture of this. So I've been contemplating this this last week. And yesterday we were with... Uh, my daughter and son-in-law and two of our grandkids, and we were celebrating Judah, our youngest on that side's birthday. And as we brought the presents in, he just looked and was like, oh. like I thought he was, he was just a little bit overwhelmed with how excited he was just to see boxes, and he knew they were for him. Now, the funny thing was we brought just one for Everly first because uh, uh, her great-grandmother missed some things to be with her. And as she opened it, he's looking like, what is going on? This is not right. 
But when he started opening presents, his excitement to just open a box was unbelievable. In fact, he finished opening the first box and gave it to his dad. He was like, hey, there's something still in here. He was just wondering to see the box. The box itself was amazing. But once he opened it and saw what was inside, and there was both some great things with these marbles that roll around, and there were these wonderful things with uh, these cars, you know, the, the Hot Wheels cars. And to watch his excitement at every opening and every discovery was just captivating to me. Because he looks at life that way. Which, by the way, it was really fun to watch my son-in-law then sit on the floor and begin to play and realize he is now in wonder. He's not doing this for his son. He's kind of like, I'm having a good time on my own. Because he entered the world of wonder and discovery that he misses and we miss, don't we? So it moved to another level when Judah says to me, Big Dad, come downstairs. And by the way, I'm called Big Dad because I want to be mafia-like if I'm going to be a grandparent. So so I says to him, I says, you call me Big Dad, I take you downstairs, we do what you want. You show me what you got. If I like it, you stay okay. If you don't, I take it out. You mess with my grandchildren, you're down. You're going to be down, you're never coming back. That's how it goes. So he and Everly actually both take me downstairs, take Jane and I down, and we get to see a stink bug that they found and protected in something. Do you know how excited they were to show us and just to discover a stink bug? I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, these kids love life. And they look with wonder to discover. And I thought, you know, that's the invitation of God to us. What if you and I can actually rest humbly and say, guess what? Is it possible you and I don't know everything? Is it possible that reason limits us? And particularly Western reason, by the way, because we're linear. If you go to an Eastern mind, which is, by the way, where the scriptures come from and where they're settled in, they live with paradoxical truths in tension. Easily. Oh, justice and mercy? Both happen. Free will and God being sovereign? Both happen. We live it and go, no, nope, it's got to be one or the other. Can't be both. Can't, both can't happen. They can't happen on a line. You can't put it on a line. You can't cut it off. It doesn't work. Because that's how we think. What would happen if you and I said, I just want to discover and see what's happening and what God's doing? And, and here's the wonder that centers our faith. The one activity that I always go to when anybody's asking, is this true or not, is do you believe Jesus actually rose from the dead? Because if that's true, everything else emanates from that. And see, it's not about what the re- whether it's reasonable. It's not even about the sources of it. It's about whether it actually happened or not. That's what it's about, in case you're not clear on this. Just because I have a source, I go, well, this is what I think. No, no, did it happen or not? That's what matters. And if it happened, everything else comes out of that. So we're people that wonder about the resurrection, by the way. That's who we are. We have wonder and joy. And in case you don't know, it's not like we go, oh, I get it, Jesus died and then he rose again. That's what happened. It's, you know what? We get to continue to discover more deeply what that means, how it's revealed to us, how he breathes life into us, how we see resurrection out of death, how we see new life come. I mean, that's a discovery that never gets old and will never exhaust. Come on. It's amazing. It's not an analytical, it's got to fit in a box. It's a childlike wonder and discovery. And so we always begin there, and then we move into understanding God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three distinct persons, because that's how Jesus has revealed it, and that's how the scriptures reveal it, not because you and I understand it, or even because we can make sense of it, because let's be honest, I'm not using an egg, and I'm certainly not using water, and I'm not using some dude, and I'm not using a three-leaf clover, because that will never explain the wonder and the unexplainable. It'll just 
push it down to something that we think we can reason through. And what does that do? It sucks the life right out of it, doesn't it? I'm more than happy when people talk to me and they go, that just doesn't make sense. And I go, you're right. <laughs> Very true, it does not make sense. But man, is it awesome? And I don't know what to tell you. I think it actually happened. And I can tell you from my life, the things I see that seem to show, yep, it happened, yep, it happened. I am not trying to convince you. I'm a smart, reasonable dude. I am not. And none of us are to be either. So we start there. And that moves us to this understanding of the Trinity. Now, I want to be clear. The Trinity is not a, it's a word that's used about three to four centuries into the early church. And it's used because they start to, after they've gotten through Jesus being fully God, now they start to wrestle with the Holy Spirit. And they have to go back and look at Scripture. And they argue and haggle and keep discovering and realize, yes, indeed, the Holy Spirit is fully God. We can't make sense of this. So instead of trying to make sense of it, though we know it's true, we're just going to give you a word that sounds good and seems to explain it. Trinity. Good to go. Here's the word, Trinity, three and one. Yep, one, one, one equals one. Okay. It's a beautiful word, but it's meant to bring wonder, not to bring explanation. You getting me? I want to be really clear on this. And I want you to understand, this isn't just something that happened after the fact. The Jews, who we come from, were very clear. Listen, you want to know how God reveals himself? He comes down from heaven. He reveals things out of the cloud. But just because he reveals something doesn't mean we fully understand it or fully grasp it. That's what they said. It doesn't mean we know everything or we can understand everything. Isn't that a nice comfort? And by the way, the Catholic Church, which is our foundation, then called it this, the mysteries of faith. They said, you know how we'll explain wonder? We'll call it a mystery because a mystery is something God decides to reveal that's hidden whether we understand it or not. Oh, that's a better mystery than watching Dateline, isn't it? Come on. That's a mystery that's beyond us, that the creator says to us, listen, the created beings, you can't fully grasp this. That's okay. It's awesome. So that's where we're going in this series. We want to give the big picture of the mystery of who God is, the Trinity, but then we're going to go into the Spirit, and we're going to look at that more deeply. I want to take us back, though, to see where the Trinity emerges in the Scriptures. So let me take you to Jesus' baptism, which is while he's walking the earth, and I just want you to see, you'll see all three persons of the Godhead. As soon as Jesus the son, was baptized, he went up out of the water. And now there's a whole story behind that, but for today we don't need to get into it. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. Spirit's present. Get that, right? The voice from heaven, who by the way is the Father, because it's, he says, this is my son, that's the Father, whom I love and with him I am well pleased. In one moment, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, it doesn't make sense, but tell me that's not an awesome moment. The father looks down and he goes, I love you and I brought my son, I sent my son to be with you. The son is there going, I'm here. I am here out of grace to bring redemption and life out of death and darkness. And the spirit comes in and goes, and just breathes life on it. By the way, Jesus, in its humanity is always filled and led by the Spirit. It's how he lived, even in his divinity and its humanity. So this is our first picture. It's one of the ones we get where we see it this way. I want to be clear, the early church shows it, though, too. And there's lots of examples. I just want to show you a couple. We're not going to spend a long time on it. I just didn't want to miss. Hey, this is how Scripture reveals who God is. This is just one of Paul's letters. In 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> he's giving the fact that God is one plus one is one. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. There is but one Lord, Jesus, the Christ, 
whom all things came and whom, through whom we live. Now, remember, he's Jewish. Jews know there's one God, Echad. It means a complex unity. And he's making it very clear. By the way, the Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. One plus one equals one. Now, lest you think he's not including the Spirit, a few chapters later, he says this. Hey, by the way, no one can even speak and say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the Spirit of God living in us that even helps us to see with wonder who he is. Oh, I told you it was pretty crazy and cool, didn't I? You might not think it's crazy and cool, but I do, and I'm just going to have enough craziness for all of us. So whether you have it or not, just join me, will you? I just want to be clear, even in Scripture, this was already fleshing out. So imagine the early church is there, and they go, okay, we get it. Jesus rose. He's fully God. The Father's fully God. This is a different kind of oneness than we understood. And then they ultimately get the same picture with the Spirit. That's where it comes from scripturally and where it comes from historically. God revealed him this this way as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. That's where we begin. Now, with that in mind, what we're going to look at for these six weeks is the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit is involved in life, the role and the person of the Spirit, and the role the Spirit plays in our life and the life of the church. And all I'm going to do today is get us started. So I want to take you to a Hebrew understanding of God's spirit by one simple word. It's the word ruha. And it's the word that we have in the Old Testament for spirit. And it can mean wind or breath. And I want you to get a picture of this because I think it gives us two big pictures that we're going to be looking at as we move into understanding the spirit's role in our lives and the way we respond and are led by the spirit. So let me take you. First, to the creation narrative. I'll take you right to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This word is literally ruha. It just means the wind. But they all began to translate because they understood, and you'll see from other passages, or you would if you continued on, that that's who it's referring to. This gives us a picture of the Spirit's role in creation. And the Spirit is the wind. So I want you to see a few things. One is that the Spirit takes that which is empty and dark, that which has no form that's chaotic and brings order and life and wholeness to it by the very wind of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is unstoppably and absolutely powerful. You realize that wind is an incredible metaphor, don't you? That God uses to describe his very presence. This is not the only statement of it. It goes over and over again through the Hebrew scriptures. Let me take you a little further into it. So we have Israel, they're in bondage, and these plagues come out. One of them is the locust, for example. And it says this wind blows and the locusts come upon them. The wind is the very presence of God. Israel gets out through all of this series of plagues. They end up at a body of water they can't get through. Moses puts his staff down and guess what happens? The wind blows and the water separates. Come on. Let's not look at this with reason. Let's look at this with childlike wonder. The very wind of God moves and the ocean parts. Come on. Is that not amazing? I want to sit there and stand there like, dude, did you just see what happened there? I, I don't know what to do with this. I want to walk through, I'm a little freaked out, but I'm going to bet that was God. I've never seen nothing like that in my whole lifetime. 
And the wind keeps doing this, by the way, in the life of Israel. They're out in the desert. They have no food. They whine to God, God, we don't have food. Even though he gives them manna, it's not enough. So God, somewhat frustratedly, because he tells them he's going to give them so much, it's going to fill their nostrils. But the wind comes and blows quail into their camp every day, and they get the food they need for the day. And it's done by this wind that blows. Isn't that cool? And it continues on. Elijah, this prophet, has a major problem. All these people are worshiping in a way they shouldn't. They're worshiping false gods. God, through a series of events, has them call down from heaven, fire, crazy stuff happens. But after that, he goes and prays. It has not rained for years. And guess what starts the rain? Wind. Come on. Here comes the wind. No rain. I pray. (gasps) Wow. Now, Elijah has some down moments. He goes to be with God, and it tells us this wind comes on him. And the wind is so strong, it takes a mountain and breaks it apart. How many of you get freaked out when it storms? I mean, don't you get freaked out just at the winds from a storm? Just so you know, that is just a small little dose of God. (laughs) That is nothing to what he can do. Let me take you forward to the New Testament. When Jesus is with his disciples before he heads back to heaven, he says, hey, by the way, you're going to wait here, and you're going to pray, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. And guess what happens the day they're waiting? There is a rushing wind that comes through that's loud and they can't hear anything else. Spirit goes, hey, just so you know, I got some wind, I'm full of power. You can't handle it, here it comes. Come on. That's how the spirit moves in power and in wind and that power is absolute. Jesus said, this is before his death and resurrection, hey, just so you know, The spirit moves the way it wants to. It comes where it fronts to, and it goes where it wants to. No one can see where it's coming or where it's going, and no one can tell it what to do. You realize that one of the things the spirit wants to do in our lives is be the wind that decides where it moves in power. And we're going to invite you to, to be reading through some scriptural passages, and you will see over and over again, you'll hear this over and over again, the spirit came on them in power, the spirit moved in power, the spirit did this in power. Everything from the healings that are coming to the way God moves in circumstances all around, the spirit comes and the wind comes. And whoa. Make clear it's absolute, it's power, and you do not get to say where it goes or where it comes from. You talk about how we reduce God. Oh, Lord, you need to move this way. I want you to move that way. I want you to do this in my life. And why didn't you do what I told you to do? Because guess what? The spirit's a powerful, absolute wind. You will not tell God where to go. Ever. So how about if the Holy Spirit, we started saying, Holy Spirit, you show me where you're going. I'm, I'm going to be a sail, and I'm just going to pop up and go. Instead of I'm going to try to tell you and be mad when you don't go where I want. You do find the irony in that, don't you? Hey, I know I'm a created being, and I can't even understand the Trinity, and I can't understand a lot of other things, but I really am disappointed you're not doing what I think you should. We miss it, don't we? Now let me take you to the other expression of this, the breath. It's still in the creation narrative. Then God formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now this is a different word. It's the word nephesh, but it later, and we see it over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures, that it says again and again, when this breath happened, it was the spirit of God. When this breath happened, it was the spirit of God. When this breath happened, 
So the Ruha is still underlying this. And it's a picture here of the fact that the Spirit breathes immeasurably and personally into us. You realize the Spirit breathes life into every living being. And here's the crazy part. That's the beginning. And then we mess up creation and it's broken. And there's this crazy prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures in Ezekiel. It says, Ezekiel sees these dry bones. He goes, I don't know what you're going to do, God. And all of a sudden, God comes in and begins to breathe on the dry bones. And as God breathes on them, it says they get flesh. And as God breathes on them, they get ligaments. And as God breathes on them, they become back to life. God isn't just strong and powerful. He's personal and intimate. And he breathes onto the places of death and brings new life. And by the way, that was a prophetic image of what would happen when Jesus rose and then he gave us his Holy Spirit to breathe into us immeasurably and personally. Man, I'm pumped enough for all of us. I'll just take it home. You guys get there. Maybe Tuesday you'll be going, oh, wow, I've never thought about that before. Like, I want some childlike wonder. The God of the universe, on one hand, is amazingly powerful, and we just follow where he goes, and he blows like the wind. On another, he breathes life into you personally and connects to every single one of you and builds your life up. Man, I want that. I want that for us. I am so tired of trying to be reasonable and try to make sense and try to dictate where God goes. I want to find that wind and put up my sail and go, where are you going? I'm following. I want to be living in a place where the very soft breath of God breathes into us and goes, I'm going to direct you and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to guide you. Jesus said, when I leave, this is what he said to his disciples, I'm going to give you a counselor, a guide, the Holy Spirit to be in you. He says, he'll be with you and he'll be in you. And this is the expression of that, to breathe life into us. And I want to give us a very simple application, and we'll come back to it, but it's the fact that Scripture itself, it says, is God breathed, meaning the Spirit breathes into it. And when we read Scripture, we have this beautiful opportunity through the Spirit to go from the written Word to breathing life of the living Word in us. See, it's not about information, it's about revelation. You want to know why we keep saying read Scripture? Oh, you want to grow in Christ? Read Scripture. Oh, you want to grow in Christ? Read Scripture. We don't say listen to a podcast, try another new thing to do, try another... We see read scripture. Because in that, we get from the written word to the living word as God breathes into us. Now, we're going to look at this more in the weeks of the head, but I want to say it again. I have two simple things as we enter this six weeks. Could you begin to ask the Spirit to reveal to you the very wind, the absolute power that the Spirit has? Could you begin to say, Holy Spirit, help me to see the wind of you and how absolutely powerful you are. I'm going to ask you to look for it in Scripture, but look for it in life. And then the other one is just like it. Would you begin to ask, I want to see the breath of the Spirit, the imaginally personable, personal breath of Him. That what if you and I begin to explore both the wind and the power and the breath and the personal as we enter this study for six weeks? So here's my simple invitation and ask. If you go to our website, and we have these cards for you here too, if you go to allshores.org and it's slash Holy Spirit, we have some resources for the next six weeks for you. We've got some book ideas if you're looking to read more. There are some studies on Right Now Media that will enhance this. But our major tool is to do the reading plan we have. And it starts today. If you're here in the campus, you can get one of these on your way out. Um, 
that will give you the, the 42 days, I believe it is. If you go to the site here and you click on this, it'll actually take you to the YouVersion app. Many of you have that, which is a free app. It will not take you to a Bible reading plan. It takes you to an event. So we had to put each day as its own event. So today's is day one, and that's another way to do it. I just want you to be clear on it. These are the methods for it. And then we're asking you just a couple of questions. You'll see it in here. It says, where do you see the Holy Spirit working in the passage? Even if it's not mentioned, you look for the wind, you look for the power, and you look for the breath, you look for the personal. And then the second thing is, what are you learning about the Spirit? You're just going to be reading these passages multiple times. So you read, let's say, I think the first day is Luke chapter 1. And just read it a few times. Ask the Spirit to lead you. That's all we're asking you to do. That we think God wants to move through this time, and we want you to discover how he wants to move. I want to end there with kind of, this is where we're beginning. And I want to pray for us with this in mind. So I want you to close your eyes even today. And... Uh, I'm just going to ask you, are you willing to invite the Spirit's leading to be like the wind? Are you willing to relinquish control and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to set my sail. You move and go where you want to. You have free reign. And in the same way, are you willing to say, Holy Spirit, I want your breath, your personal connection to me to help me hear and reveal who Jesus is. See, that's what the Spirit does, always revealing who Jesus is. That's how you know it's a Spirit, by the way, always revealing who Jesus is. Lord, I'm asking that you'd move among us, in us, through us, that this would be a transformational week, set of weeks for us to become more enamored, more childlike. <laughs> and oh God, that we would want to have the wind of your Spirit and the breath of your Spirit upon us, moving through us to do what you want to do, not what we think you should. And Lord, I pray for any who are among us that don't follow Jesus, that they would begin to move towards you as they sense you moving towards them. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.